Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast uh, featuring your usual host, Dr. Brandon Cruz and myself, Dr. Jeremy Boyd. Today we got a special guest and dear friend of mine, Dr. Chris Carroll, uh, who's a very rare breed of a neuroclinical specialist and orthopedic clinical specialist. So a little outside of our box, uh, we wanted to bring on Chris because he does something very unique in integrating potential manual therapy into his setting in a neuro field. Uh, Chris has also been known to uh, teach at uh, Weiner, Drexel, and Jefferson Universities, amongst uh, also teaching or presenting at conferences. So that's just a little highlight of Chris. Um, but uh, yeah, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on board. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, looking forward to talking with you guys and like being able to discuss like how I take like the knowledge that I've, I mean, I've been to both your courses. You guys have taught me so many things. And then I decided a little like twist to implement it with the patients that I work with. So I really like being able to blend the two because I really do feel like they really aren't that far apart. I feel like that kind of starts like in school almost like two separate classes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've talked about that a lot um, on the show of uh, how, you know, PT school teaches everything in isolation and I think that leads therapists or future therapists to think of everything in isolation and forget there's actually carryover. All of our neuro patients have musculoskeletal systems that we need to address orthopedically, um, or at least to some extent, if we can. And all of our musculoskeletal patients or sports patients have brains and nervous systems that we need to understand some concepts from there and carry over. So, uh, you know, Thanks for coming on the show. We, we think, you know, just in our, our talks with you, one, you're so passionate about what you do. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. people need to uh, hopefully you rub off on some some clinicians out there. Uh, and two, yeah, just hopefully we can give some people um, or you you really can give some people some insight on how to blend the two. So everything's not its own silo and isolation. Yeah, no, I feel like um, when I first started McGee, McGee was my first job. I was very excited to be in a setting where like the caliber of PT seemed very high to me as a student. I came here for a couple of labs. I had a couple of teachers that talked very highly. I was new to Philadelphia, so I'd never been here. But when I got here, I realized I was among a lot of great neuroclinicians. I was like, wow, I'm learning. I'm going to learn so much here so fast. Mm -hmm. But then uh, I had a, I always had a passion in PT school for the orthopedic side of things too. I sports all my whole life. And I feel mm -hmm. like that was my first intro into PT in general, as is where I feel like a lot of like yeah. younger therapists. But then when I got here, I was like, oh, we should try. I was just thinking of some of these like manual skills, basic manual skills you learn, like even just PA glides of any type for like thoracic spine or even this like patellar glides. And people are like, oh, I haven't done that in so long. Mm. Like when, when would you use that for that with this patient? I'm thinking, well, I don't want to end up so boxed into like, just like, even though neuro, neuro is so broad, but almost box yourself into this broad setting. So yeah. I want to make sure I keep my ortho skills like sharp. So I would go to a lot of orthopedic course. How I met both of you. Yeah. Um, and I just realized that that's how I wanted to develop myself is like not treat them all so separately, but rather in, ingrain them both together. And like, that's why I started to pursue like the neurologic clinical specialist first. And then I wanted to like add the additional education of the orthopedic clinical specialist. Both are so valuable individually hoping like those those crossing over like you said brandon like makes them more valuable together i think awesome awesome man well we'll get into that a little bit more in a second but let's uh before we get too far into the show let's go over our drinks of the evening um i have a special one today chris let's just get yours out the way because unfortunately unfortunately i'm at work okay I'm just hydrating yeah. n95 hydrating the best i can you know yeah we we won't it's vodka it's up. vodka <laughs> uh, he's doing this from work he just got out mad dedication and props to chris there so unfortunately he just has um h2o as uh bobby boucher would say and uh real quick jay before you give your your drink um Cheers. big big shout out to jay he has been non-stop since like what'd you get up like 350 this morning um uh, four maybe four o'clock four o'clock <laughs> So Jeremy's undergoing fellowship training, has to get his hours done and mentoring hours, drove you know, an hour and a half, two hours up to my clinic in North Jersey, put in a 10-hour day there, drove back to uh, get home in time for this podcast we're, we're putting on for everybody. 
and then has to, well, not has to, but is going to go out and celebrate his wife's birthday um, mm. and take her out to dinner because she just had her 31st birthday. 31st, yep, 31st. Uh, so yep. mad props to, to Jeremy. Happy birthday to Mrs. Fecta. <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah she's been referenced multiple times on the show so yeah kudos to her for allowing this uh to, to go down and let me drink a lot of times during the middle of the day uh for episodes <laughs> uh happy birthday mrs fecta um but uh yeah uh, awesome awesome experience and just by the fate of the manips and sips podcast gods uh if there is any uh, of course, uh, the evaluation. Oh, 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 oh don't say anything. Wait, 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 oh, yeah. no. no. I'm, should I just go in my drink? Uh, don't want to. Um, I am go. I just only had one sip of it. This is from uh, Bissell Brothers. Uh, Coach Mike Solari gave it to me. Uh, Bissell Brothers is a pretty legendary brewery, I believe, up in Vermont. Uh, Substance Ale. I've had one mini sip of it. I'm going to pour it out. Uh, so far, it's been delicious. Uh, I'll give a full rating. I'll just blurt it out in a little bit, but uh, you know, Brandon, why don't you give us uh, what's yeah. what's going on on your end? My end great so pour. Have, Look at this beauty. I have a there's a story behind mine. A Jack Jack Daniels Tennessee Honey. All right, so that's my my drink of choice today. This was given to me by uh, a former student of mine. He was a, a, a stud student, one of the tops I've, I've had. Not so as his head could get too big here. Mr. <laughs> Joseph Allen A. Cakes Trinidad, giving him his full, full title name. Um, on our Christmas party, we had a, he, he had his internship. Actually, his last day was the day we had our Christmas party at the office. We invited him to come through. Uh, he came in with uh, a variety of drinks for me. Uh, they're smaller, they're, they're this size. Um, I'm gonna not mention the rest because they will be on the show who will be featured on this multiple times, but he was like, you gotta get me on the show, do it at least one time. Um, so this is the first one. We'll save the, actually probably the more special drink, um, which is a throwback as well. We'll save that for another episode, but um, eight cakes, this one's for you, buddy. <laughs> Cakes. Cheers, bud. Cheers, Great student of yours. I'm going to go, uh, this is a solid beer, solid ale. I'm going to give it uh, an 8.3. Uh, I've been, I've been stingy of late, so I'm going, I'm going this one into the eights. Let's no, not be a cheap ass. Christmas before. Uh, I know, I know. I didn't think I was a beer snob, but apparently once I started giving, realized I was giving only like sevens, I'm like, wow, I'm a real asshole when it comes to giving beer. <laughs> All these breweries are probably flipping me off. But um, um, yeah, hopefully they're not local ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, real quick, Chris, did you do a, a neuro residency or you studied for, for the, the yes? Well, I studied for the NCS. Yeah, I studied yeah. for both. That's, that's, I mean, the NCS is a tough test from tough what test. I've heard. Um, and to do that with a resident, that's, that's awesome. Um, and you kind of talked about a little bit on um, why you did both to, so you can marry the two. And, and now we've had talks privately on your interest in, in fellowship programs. Uh, can you just briefly kind of shed your light? I mean, you're, you know, not, not many people are board certified, let alone board, double board certified, let alone in neuro and ortho and now uh you know you're gonna take it to the next level with uh a fellowship program uh just just you know, thoughts on that on why you want to do it well i feel like i honestly i never really thought about a fellowship program number one because i thought that it wasn't really the route that i just that i took as a, hmm. a clinician i feel like i ended up being in neuro right like right away which is a, I feel like a very small branch of PT in terms of like inpatient rehab anyway. Um, and then like manual therapy was always a very high interest of mine, but I was always just working, trying to stay on target with like the skills, trying to find a course I can go to like, Oh yeah, I remember that. I don't get to use it as often, but I'm trying to keep it. I practice on my friends, my, my, a lot of my coworkers, need a lot of orthopedic uh, either evaluations or insight anyway for themselves, just based mm -hmm. on like positions that we're in. But I like looking at both of you guys, like just being at your course, honestly, like is what pushed me. I was like, man, 
I, even if I passed this OCS test, like at that point I was still studying and when I, and yeah. back in last December, how, how different things were last December, yeah. but, um, December 19, I guess, right. December, yeah, 19, the December yeah. uh, 7th, it was my brother's birthday. I remember. No, I was year, year, uh, 2019. And I was just thinking like, like you guys put your hands on so many different people that day and were able to get exact position cavitation and a result that you wanted. I was like, that's like, that's real like hand knowledge. And that's how you implement what you learn that way. Mm-hmm. And when, when to use it and when not to use it is just as important. You like do all those things too. And Absolutely. And so I felt like having been to the NCS and I was like in the process of the OCS, I was like, these give me a lot of skills that I know. I was like, how can I really like almost give it out? Yeah. And I was like, through your hands, I was like, I guess like the fellowship is where that intensive training comes in. And that's why it's like, it's I'm um, itching and thinking about it now. It's a lot. I mean, I can see Jerry, you know, 10 hour day today, man, just working, not mentioned driving, like that type of commitment is like pretty high level. I want to make sure that what I do take it, I'm able to divulge myself into that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely not easy, but you know, definitely, uh, you know, commend yourself for doing it. But uh, I will say this, there's a lot of fayoms uh, and fellow trained PTs in, or, in, uh, in Philadelphia. So you shouldn't have to travel uh, too far uh, for, for those hours. So that's good. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, with that, and it was kind of why we, we put the show on and everything. Can you share some, some insight, maybe some cases? I know we have some videos ready queued up on, on how you integrate, um, manual therapy, therax, some strength conditioning principles, uh, with some neural population. I, I mean, I think our, our audience majority is probably orthopedics, but hopefully they can share this with a friend, um, who, who works in a neuro setting or sees neuro uh, patients and, you know, think outside the box and, you know, look at the patient as a whole instead of just um, with their diagnosis. Sure. So I feel like the first thing when I, when I was looking into like, you know, going the route that I was deciding to go, it was like, what is manual therapy really? As soon as you say manual therapy, especially in school, people think manipulation, high velocity thrust, like, or joint mobilization. That's what they, I mean. And that is a lot of what manual therapy is. But truly, if you look at the definition, it's like anytime your hands are on the patient, you're providing manual therapy. Mm-hmm. So when I like, like thought about the definitions, like everything I'm doing, when I touch my patient's manual therapy, whether it be guarding, strengthening, like guiding them through movements, passive range of motion, all these things are manual therapy skills. And I just need to be better at doing them. So getting comfortable, t- like putting your hands on patients in different ways, whether that be facilitation, like I do a lot in neuro, I work with like the brain injury and the stroke population of facilitating a lot of movement, but also like the knowledge that you have to have as an orthopedic manual therapist, like you're moving a segment of vertebrae, moving, like managing like facilitation of like breathing through rib cage mobility or cervical thoracic manipulation. You have to know how those joint segments move. So if I'm guiding, if I'm facilitating, if I'm not facilitating a way that helps those segments move, then I'm not really facilitating anything. So right. I feel like the manual so, therapy that you get through orthopedics is very much like you know the bony anatomy and what that segment should be doing. And then you put the facilitation, those muscles that are impaired with the neuro part on top of it. And you're mm-hmm. seeing like a more in-depth picture. It's almost like looking at, you know, when you look at an MRI, a lot of our knowledge from MRIs is only two-dimensional. That we tell almost all of our patients, at least from the orthopedic back pain, don't go look at the MRI. It's not, it's not going to help me treat you because I already know that you have dysfunction. I don't need to know what that image says because there's people walking around who have no back pain, who have herniated discs, and there's people who have no heart, no, no herniated discs who have a lot of back pain. So that's, but that's like, it gives me a bigger picture, a more 3D picture of my person yeah. with a stroke, with a spinal cord injury, when I'm doing a hands-on facilitation. So an example would be like, why, why would a joint mobilization be important or maybe a thoracic mobilization be important for a stroke pop patient? So having, not all strokes are, not all people who have strokes are debilitated people. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a stroke because they have bad genetics in terms of high blood pressure, young guy, 50, 40, that happens. And this person has a very mobile body otherwise, but now is dealing with a lot of like neurologic like compensatory strategies. So say I'll set up the scene for you. Say like you have a young guy, athlete, 
I'll say young, we'll say 50s, right? I always think that's young as like a stroke patient. Um, play athlete throughout like 20s and 30s, you know, developed knee arthritis on his left side. Now they have a left or a right CVA. I'm sorry, left CVA resulting in right-sided weakness. Their left side is their strong side. However, if they have an injury to that knee, like, you know, that has like now arthritis or, and or like lack of mobility, or even something as simple as like lack of mobility in the ankle joint, like a mm. poor anterior translation of the tower of your talus or tibia on your talus, right? When you're needed for dorsiflexion, it impairs your ability to walk. If I can't get them to walk normally, they're going to compensate with any muscles that they can. Yeah. And if I could get them the range by just like working on that ankle before I get them moving, one of my mentors actually, and that's one of the, he actually is not a manual therapy. He's a very much neuro eifer guy. Mm-hmm. I remember this to this day. He's like, he was stretching and stretching and stretching. Every time he got this guy standing, he wouldn't do what he stretched him into. He had the range. He swore he took his shoes off and the man had a hammer toe. Didn't want to stand on the hammer toe because it hurts. Yeah. Mobilized his foot, mobilized the tarsals, like stretched his toes out. The man walked across the gym for him. No problem. No, I haven't seen anything that extreme, but like Alex is like one of my big mentors here. And I take that and I look at the patient that way. And that's really honestly what guided me down the road that I went. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an awesome example. Unique uh, way to um, view, like you said, manual therapy just by definition and how each concept is layered. Like, you, you tied them all together. You didn't just do them out in, in isolation and then also combine it to the, you know, the manual therapy and orthopedic side to, to the uninvolved side and not necessarily, it doesn't always have to be to, to the uninvolved side. Can you talk about um, possibly using manual therapy or joint mobs on a spinal cord injury or a stroke patient? Hey, you Chris, can you lock it when you leave? Yep. Yep. Chris, Chris this is a live show, baby. So, uh, live show. <laughs> live show. Um, um, sorry, repeat your question, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you shed some light on possibly doing mobilizations uh, to a stroke stroke patient or a spinal cord patient, where maybe most therapists uh, would shy away for maybe contraindications or, or fear of some type of precautions or, or just rules against manual therapy? Right. So, I, obviously, I'm going to say here right now that I'm not manipulating my patients who have had a stroke, like in mm-hmm. terms of cervical. I'm not mm-hmm. manipulating my patients who've had a spinal cord injury uh, in terms of like high velocity thrusts. Yeah. However, I do mobilize a lot of those patients and I usually stick to the thoracic spine because it's a safer way mm-hmm. and less. And once again, like I like the teacher right away, emphasize from the OCS education and really just in PT school in general, consent is necessary. And if your patient's nervous and I, I, def- I challenge anybody to find a spinal cord, someone who's had a spinal cord injury or someone who's had a stroke, like a life-altering event, not being nervous in therapy. So manual therapy sometimes could be a hard sell in the traditional sense. But rather than that, rather than maybe, so we'll stay with thoracic mobility, lacking a lot of my patients just due to the fact that a lot of their muscles are now weakened, especially in the spinal cord injury population. I'll even show you, let me see if I have this patient lined up here. I'll share my screen so you can see. Um, Let's see. Here we go. I'm gonna share my screen for a second. Oh, say so, uh, you just you disabled my ability to screen share, Brandon, on the as a host. Uh, That's okay. The host, so oh. allow me Boy. to screen share. But anyway, well, <sighs> thoracic extension is lacking in a lot of our patients. Mm-hmm. You get to go. Okay, so this gentleman has a spinal cord injury. So I'll share screen share right now. So this patient has a spinal cord injury. Can you see that okay? Yes, indeed. So obviously you can see that this gentleman has a lot of thoracic kyphosis. Now, I'm going to tell you that he also has a C5, C6 spinal cord injury. So now I'm not going to correct this posture as his neurologic therapist. I'm going to encourage this posture, actually, because it gets him to sit independently on the mat, being a C5, C6 level, he doesn't have the innervation of his abdominal muscles or trunk extensors to stay in this position if I put him in an ideal posture. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna teach him this position actually. Knowing full well as like the orthopedic side that I'm actually encouraging a lot of muscle substitution, muscle 
uh, muscle uh, comp or, um, compensation here yeah. and postural deviation for what would be ideal. But I don't want to be here forever. Like, I don't want to sit here and never move from here. I want to be able to get out of here or know a strategy to get out of here. So as a manual therapist, I, will, I could mobilize his spine. This scar, by the way, is a old like scoliotic curve like surgery he had. Mm -hmm. um, it's a pretty intense scar, as you can see in the mm -hmm. little posterior view. But I'll give him a towel roll, lay him over the towel roll, and I'll mobilize his shoulders. So I'll have him sitting up against the backboard, putting my hands on the lateral aspect of his upper humerus, um, and then facilitating shoulder external rotation while having him go over the towel roll to gently mobilize his spine anteriorly, promoting thoracic extension while also him being comfortable. So he almost doesn't even know that he's getting a mobilization. He just feels like he's being stretched. But I know by the by placing the towel roll in a vertical fashion, I'm getting him a very generalized, gross thoracic extension mobilization. And I'll maintain that and I'll oscillate. And I'll be talking to him conversationally, like keeping him, make sure he's like comfortable, but also knowing that I'm getting the result that I want. Yeah. So, awesome. What was that? Um, was that surgery pre um, injury pre spinal cord? The first injury? one surprise yeah. was pre pre. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, his was traumatic. His spinal cord was traumatic. Yeah. Years yeah, later. Most, uh, hmm. most 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 are right, especially at his. He seemed uh, on the younger side. Yeah. Some type of accident or something, right? I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, ATV accident. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. But yeah. Um, yeah, you want to you want to share our um, our surprise slash uh, yeah our surprise of today, which you you started it well with the the munificent sips gods must have known. Yeah, yeah, they they did they did and they threw me a great curveball on this day of mentorship. So just to put things into perspective, I own a sports dominant physical therapy clinic. Um, where all our clients are active and everything like that. Uh, Brandon also has a orthopedic and sports facility. Um, yeah, yes, uh, part of the mentorship process, which I truly, truly enjoy is, you know, having someone watch, you know, I'm a seven, seven year vet, I guess, uh, went through residency, finished all my didactic work and fellowship. And I have someone watch me how I do evaluations. Uh, and it, you know, it kind of feels like practical sometimes, but, uh, I truly enjoy it. Um, but you definitely expect to get some orthopedic cases or sports cases. And the call was for a, I guess, a low back pain. Um, and the patient comes in with a quad cane and, uh, <laughs> first has, uh, huh? Quad cane and left, yep. uh, Hemiparesis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that quad cane, I haven't seen in, in since maybe I saw it in my general outpatient orthopedic place um, for like something else, like someone didn't want to use a single point cane and their balance was off, but then it, you know, ended up being a, I was like, Ooh, you know, I've seen some bad ridiculous pains where some people are in walkers and that sort of stuff, but it evolved very quickly where it was just like, um, it was apparently a right side stroke with a left hemiparesis. So get out of town. Yeah. Wow. So I haven't got any of that since uh, my second year of PT school. Um, Both looked at each other and like, uh, this, yeah. is, this is happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and I got some, you know, text messages from Brian. I was like, Hey, just so you know, it's a, it's a, it's a CVA. I was like, I, I got, I got an idea that something wasn't quite traditional with this. Um but yeah, he, uh, he obviously had some weaknesses. He was at an outpatient place beforehand, but he also had some low back pain and also shoulder pain. Uh, so obviously low is hanging fruit, you know, priorities on this, you know, we have to get his left side stronger uh, for a great, you know, not a great case for him, but a great case was, you know, it didn't seem like he had any crazy comorbidities that led to this, uh, but he was a triathlete. Uh, we do, it was custom to doing 100 mile bike races. Uh, was extremely active, electrical engineer, owned his own firm and everything like that. And that's young too. He, he was in the early 50s, too. Early, yeah. uh, 61. Oh, 61. Oh, and then he was the stroke happened when he was 59, I believe. Okay. But yeah, wow. 
Yeah, he had three TIAs leading up to it, DVTs, two pulmonary embolisms. Uh, so, you know, just um, there was a, you know, it was understanding that he has a hypercoagulation going on. Uh, and then Brandon, you know, bringing up some things for SES training, uh, you know, some of these elite athletes. Uh, the athletes. Yeah, with yeah. poor um yeah, did I say elite athletes? Um, no, no, that's fine. It's just I just want to specify, you know, endurance. current ones that uh, tend to be more subject to to that hypercoagulation. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, with like dehydration. So he was on blood thinners, and then it was like monitoring fluids and making sure he stayed hydrated. But uh, to go back and circle around, he also had some back pain and those sort of things. So yeah, of course, I evaluated his left side, the strength, his function, everything like that. But you know, he had some, you know, difficulty moving his leg and everything like that. And during my examination process and evaluating his spine um, with me doing uh, left unilateral posterior anterior mobilizations of, of his L1, L2, L3, uh, reproduced some numbness that he had going down into his leg from his glute down into his thigh. Um, and then just progressively get worse, mobilize it for a couple minutes and progressively get less, less, and less. Um, so who's to say that, you know, yes, he obviously has a stroke and we need to work on all these sort of things, but he definitely had something musculoskeletal orthopedic related that if we help that it could potentially increase his function in relations sure. to the neurological stuff. So that was my fun, uh, Thing that the nips and sips gods gave to me that today. is wild when i gave an yeah. example of a 50 year old guy and then the 50 year old guy walks into your, your clinic yeah. today yeah and i'm in a sports manual therapy fellowship so we always talk about athletes and then i got this today so i was like oh, oh, it wasn't athlete. yes yes so it was it was kind of designed for me in a way but yeah so i think a, a take-home point too and it this was um you know error in judgment you know, to, to be wary of, cause you know, Jeremy and I were talking and, you know, we're going kind of through an assessment and it was like, you know, is that pain just neuropathic and, you know, are we going to be able to even change it? You know um, how much do we dive into it? And then, you know, Jeremy went through, you know, his, uh, his eval and did his, started doing UPAs just to see what was going on and uh, found what he found. So uh, I think we, can get in our own way sometimes by just, you know, type one reasoning, just jumping into, uh, Oh, it's neuropathic. We're not even going to bother assessing it. Mm -hmm. But if, uh, Jeremy, you always say, if you're assess if you're not assessing, you're guessing. So, um, kudos to Jaron on that one for us, you know, taking the time out to assess, um, his lumbar spine. And even uh, he did some, uh, what general, uh, UPAs to the lower cervical as well. Right. Um, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's rotation and everything like that was, uh, yeah i feel like once you see the quad cane you know he's not walking like traditionally so you know that the weight bearing status is altered so low back pain i feel like it's very like it's a very common complication post-stroke like mm. just that sometimes our patients aren't mobile enough yeah to experience a lot of that pain like the way that he probably is like he's probably moving a lot with that quad cane and mm -hmm. walking asymmetrically and building up that so i think that he definitely probably has some without having seen him Sounds yeah. like he's like a recipe for like orthopedic issues. Um, but also like, you know, you, we like in, and then like your guys course, like you guys mentioned this all the time, like the real benefit is the neurophysiologic effect from mm -hmm. any type of manipulation, mobilization. Right. So yeah. like mm -hmm. the neurophysiologic effect of just touching his back, mobilizing him could have like relaxed the muscle that was tight, that was compressing a nerve mm -hmm. that was sending the signal down his legs. So, but that's exactly the point is like, this patient, this is, he has a CBA, obviously now stable, not medically, no longer medically um, compromised in terms of like being potentially unstable, like maybe in acute care, yeah. as orthopedic concerns that like, if you didn't see you, another therapist may have been like, well, I'm not going to mobilize this back because mm -hmm. he's a neuro patient. Yeah. And so, going I, into that, well, go ahead there, Chris. Well, this is like, your episode. And also like, I, I want to ask you like, without knowing anything about the patient, like, what was his, what was his like outlook on therapy? What did he want to do? Uh, he wanted to get stronger. He wanted to become more independent on the left side and he wanted to get biking by the end of summer or summertime. Right, right there. That's my, and so that's yeah. my, what, well, when we go into some of the videos from my patients is like, and how I find 
like not everybody because everybody's different, right? And not every one of your patients is like, even though they come to a sports clinic, not, them, not all of them want to return to running marathons or like, you know, intense athletes. Some of them just want to be able to jog or walk, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Without pain. However, I find that like some of my, especially on the spinal, on the spinal cord injury unit, but definitely on the stroke unit too, when you're dealing or the brain injury unit, even mm-hmm. you're not like, they have this like label of like being a neurologic patient, but some of them don't want to, you don't want to have this like stigma, this, like, you know, stigma. Like mm-hmm. you, you want to train hard. Maybe, maybe you want to train hard. Maybe you have a condition that really limits your ability, like a high level spinal cord injury limits your ability to train hard and you're, you, it in my opinion, it shouldn't stick you on the arm bike for the rest of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Find a Absolutely. way, like clinicians can find a way with equipment, obviously, if you want, like equipment helps, but to challenge the person if they want to be challenged. And there's a lot of places out there like adaptive athlete training. And, uh, like, and that's like, like a good term I like to use, like, the adaptive athlete. So he, your patient today is a perfect example. Didn't want to just work on transfers, didn't want to just work on getting to his bathroom. He wants to get back on the bike. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's like a, a, t- a place where like, we'll come in and they're like, like, well, that's a good long-term goal. Let's talk about like the intermediate goals to get to that spot. He seems to be ready for that. That's like an appropriate long-term goal for mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. I feel like if like we, we don't ask that question, assuming that like, oh, well, he's having a hard enough time, like moving right now, this with the quad cane, how can I get him back on the bike? Like, we're instead of like saying like, well, how can I get him back on the bike with like what mm-hmm. type of exercises I need to do. And those exercises are not going to be long arc quads. Those exercises are going to be high intensity training. And that's like one of the only things in neuro, there's a lot of research in neuro, but I feel like one of the most tested proven things is intensity. Yeah. Intensity mm-hmm. is one. And that's really with anything. And that's why it's not really just a neuro thing. If you're just a regular strength training, going to the gym, strength training, like new, new year's resolution guy, the intensity in which you train will get the results that you want or not. So if you train in, in an intense fashion, you'll get results more than the guy that's on the phone texting in the gym, even though he's there for two hours. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing in neuro, like intensity is king. So you get, and then it's all relative to the person once again, but like if I train my patient with a long arc quad, what he definitely can do a long arc quad just because mm-hmm. his leg isn't hundred percent strong, that's not going to get him back to his goals if his goals are high level. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. I, I, um, I had a, uh, a great internship at the university of Florida, which was uh, a neurological, um, internship for 12 weeks, uh, worked with Craig Fox, who's, uh, I don't know if you know him. He's one of the, the, I guess, leaders in the, I guess the United States, I forget the name of the group he's with now, but he was uh, leading, you know, the NCS program at, at Shands at the time. And this was back in 2013, but he, he said exactly what you said. It's intensity. Um, mm-hmm. He would always, I remember if we're doing anything, it's a lot of repetitions. If somebody was on the bike or the new step, um, it was not just there passively. They're there to work out. They want to be between somewhere, you know, mid eighties to, you know, 95 to 105 revolution per minute because that's what's going to really be able to tap into the, the nervous system and like the CPGs and just, I guess the automatic um, I'm rusty now, maybe you can help explain that's it. Kind of generator, like locomotion. Yeah. 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 And just kind of like that, I guess we all have that um, natural timing in there and, and that's going to kind of restore that. So, and he mm-hmm. took a very kind of approach, similar approach to you where he combined orthopedics. And one of the first thing he said to me, cause I was like, dude, I'm ortho and sports all the way. Like, I'm just kind of down here so I could be in Florida in the winter. Um, <laughs> and nice. uh, he's like, well, you know, all our neurological patients are orthopedic. So, uh, you know, and he, he trained me tough and I, I definitely learned a lot, not to say that I'm a, a NCS specialist or anything, but I just had a good experience with it. And a lot of what you said is ringing a bell to what he, he had taught me and preached um, as well. So um, yeah. And today we on the, you know, he, he was a very positive outlooking guy. You know, he, he's motivated to get back and we got him on the assault bike today and, and he was, he was awesome. pedaling. Um, we strapped him in, yeah. um, you know, he, he was pedaling and we said like five minutes. He's like, no, I want to do six. He did six. Like I want to do seven. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so he kept going. And then, uh, you know, our plan is to get him doing some, some squats, you know um, you know, lifting, working on his shoulder strength. Cause he had a little subluxation there, obviously strength stuff. So, but I, I plan to um, 
you know, moving forward, see him and, and really kind of uh, challenge him physically. So I'm glad that you kind of uh, supported that because we know our, you know, Jeremy and I, and I's uh, clinical decision-making was, was on par with, with what it should be. So that's, that's mm-hmm. coming here too. So thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have a, actually, I'm going to share something one more time. Yeah, please do. Uh, man. This um, article, like that's one of my gold standards. If I talk about neuro to any school student, fellow like colleague at McGee, it's like, I like in my mind, I'm referencing this article. So I feel like Mm -hmm. I'll show it. I don't have the whole article, but I have like a slide that I teach on. And this is the principles, like Klein's principles of like neuroplasticity are really how I, like what I learned to live by in terms of like my opinion. Um, And I think by honestly research, like these are all things that really every, so slideshow here. Here we go. So I love that image. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but the, how you drive, how you coach the patient, like our role is very much in neuro. Sometimes I have a tough conversation. You have to have those hard conversations with patients in terms of like walking function and like return, like neurologic return. And that's something as a PT and really as a medical professional in general, that we are on the outside. It's some, a lot of it, we can encourage it. We can promote the ideal environment. We can like give them the education, but at the end of the day, nature needs to show up and reconnect the nerves with how we are in the medical field right now. But as a PT, I always imagine us as like, we're like the dams in the river or the rocks in the river. And we can either let it flow the way it wants to flow and it's going to connect that way, or we can help to guide it. It's going to flow, right? The water is going to flow. We can't stop the river, but we can guide it by giving it certain tools or certain directions, right? So this is where client principles come in. And I highlighted the three that I always hold on to the most because some of these are, you know, going to happen anyway. Use it or lose it, use and improve it. Like those things will happen by the patient, but we can really guide them as like specificity, intensity, and like salience. So salience is like, I would say to my students, a fancy word for does your patient want to do what you're encouraging them to do? Like Mm -hmm. if I'm having, if I have right-sided weakness, and I have them reach for a red ball a hundred times. I would say that the, you know, the repetition mattered. I got a hundred reps in my session. Good job. Right. But if he doesn't care about that red ball or she doesn't care about that red ball, then like, what did I accomplish? The, the, the neuroplastic change is going to be limited because the person didn't really want to do it. Mm. However, if I was a cheeseburger and my patient really was hungry and they just got cleared to eat for the first time in months I mean, after their CVA, they're going to reach pretty aggressively for that cheeseburger. So I would say mm. that in that instance, that one repetition of really wanting to do it would outdo a hundred of reaching for the red ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I'm designing exercise programs, I take into consideration the intensity and what the patient wants to get back to doing or what the person wants to get back to doing. So using your gentleman as an example, I think it's so, so awesome. I, I had no idea that he was going to be mentioned, but like, it's like right. so, so typical. And like, what, like I'll have a couple of videos later, but um, salience, the bike is important to him. Maybe the new step will be important for important right now. It's similar to a bike and I can get his heart rate up. Intensity matters. It'll be similar to what he wants to do. I'll get the neuroplastic change. I'll get his legs to work better because he's driving his legs. He's working mm-hmm. on it. It's like, that's how I, really connect the exercise from the manual therapy. So the mobilization gets them in the position to get them in position to do the exercise that I want them to be able to do to stimulate blood flow, to encourage neuromuscular connection that maybe is not there now, but could be tomorrow because I, because we work together with something that was important. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, well said. Um, while, while you're queuing up those videos, can you show um, that one with the battle ropes? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's my I, favorite video. <laughs> I love that. I think it's, um, you know, and even if people don't like battle ropes or, or think it's gibbony, I mean, it's something different. Um, you're really trying to, you know, think outside the box and provide, you know, intensity, make it more dynamic and fun and add some strength conditioning principles there. And perhaps you're trying to even do more. So I'll let you speak on that. But when you told us about this, I was like, I was really pumped to see this. So, Yeah, I feel like one of the things that I learned, and I, I kind of like, this is like where you take your own experiences in your own life and apply them to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if I was in a situation, I mean, I see, I see patients in like some of the toughest times of their life, like every day. Yeah. Uh, um, 
I feel like I try to like put myself in their shoes the best that I can. And so like, if I was their therapist, what would I want them to do? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're almost there. Let's see. Here we go. Um, like what would, I, what would I want them to be helping me do? Obviously, I want them to help me get functionally stronger and functionally better for transfers for bevelability so that my loved ones don't have to help me as much. But I also want to make sure, like, for me personally, I would want to be trained like an athlete. That's how I train my whole life. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. be doing something that's, like, not necessarily like, a waste of time, but not um, something that's not going to push me. I want mm-hmm. to be pushed. So I always, like, no, you value Not everybody wants to be pushed, though. Like, and you know, every PT knows those as a patient is like wants the moist heat, massage, an ice pack at the end. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, I don't give those out. I tell my patients, like, if you want a massage, you go to sandals. I don't do that here. Yeah. But um, Good. sandals before you get the martini or the margarita and everything, I don't have those at McGee. But I feel like if I want, if I have a patient that wants to train like an athlete or train intensely, how can I get them there safely? So this gentleman's name is Louise. He like gave me permission, obviously, to use the videos. Um, we work together like intermittently in both an inpatient and an outpatient side. Hard worker. Didn't want to be in the chair, even though he had at this point had the idea that that might be where he'd be most of the time for his mobility status. But his ther- his main therapist and like myself, like gave him an opportunity to show you don't have to be in the chair all the time. You can train differently. So I offered the battle rope. So let's run the video here. So like this is a standing frame. So it's helping him stay maintain stability, but also giving a very intense exercise, which is going to help maintain both his blood pressure. So I'm not worried about him getting orthostatic on me. It's also going to keep his heart rate up. So I know he's not going to pass out, but this yeah. is a very intense exercise. You see his face. I love that last minute. He's like, yeah. I'm done. I yeah. reached yeah. the intensity. Spent. Spent. And you know, what was that? Maybe like a five second clip. And, right. you know, you, you mentioned a lot of things that I probably won't even think of, you know, orthostatic hypotension and you, you took into consideration the precautions and, and things you're trying to work on. But right in the picture next to it, you have a, a UBE, which you could have easily just mailed it in and said, hey, go do the UBE. Oh, my God. But you're, you're, you're challenging him, you know, more dynamically and like an athlete. I think that's great. And I see in the background, you got a, a C2 um, ski erg, which. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't know it's if you have, story. you have other people, you know, do some rows or something with it. But that's great. So funny story about the ski erg is that they, we didn't have this equipment before I was here. And I had a patient who had a torn rotator cuff orthopedic, right? Mm-hmm. It also was a T10 paraplegic Mr. Olympia bodybuilder competitor. I'm saying oh, wow. like nice. arms bigger than my head, yeah. but also from the wheelchair level. So I was picking his brands. Like, how do you train? Like, I want like, not that I was surprised. I was yeah. impressed. I'm not surprised. Like that, that type of physiological development is definitely possible from wheelchair level if you give adequate stimulus, if you have intact neurologic function, right? right? So like, mm-hmm. how do you train? Like, I was like, what do you do from your level like that like gives you the edge to get here? And he showed me videos of how he's getting on benches and like sometimes he needs help, but some things I would recommend because it's high skin risk and I'm like worried about my patients hurting themselves. But yeah, some things I'm like, yo, go good for you, man. Like and then he showed me the ski ergometer. I'm like, that is amazing because that gives you a high intensity level. You can train from the wheelchair and like not have to get up or be in a different position. And it's yeah. accessible. And my least favorite thing ever is this, the UBE. And I'll show you exactly why. And this is one of my favorite slides. I'm glad you like this brand. It's one of my favorite slides in my presentation that I give. This is to Widener this year and to Drexel. But like, I'm going to show you these videos side by side. And like, you can see. Yeah, you can see that work. Like if he doesn't have a seatbelt on right now, he's getting pulled out of that chair. Yeah. The work on his trunk, his postural muscles. This bike, if he lets his arms do nothing, you guarantee it's going to carry him through. Mm-hmm. To my dying day, I will never put somebody on the UBE. I will never do it. I refuse. That's great, there man. You go. It's awesome. It like, really is. Intensity. Version like, yeah. Shot. Look at his face. Just you can right. just tell he's, that he's, he's just more. Yeah. The other thing awesome. is, like, if I'm thinking orthopedically, right, I know that this position is notoriously bad for shoulder problems. Mm-hmm. This repetitive motion out in front is already it's asking for an impingement. Mm-hmm. And I'm already telling this gentleman who he's a, um, I think he had a T4 level injury. I'm asking this gentleman to transfer himself every day, pretty much asking him to do a dip every day to get in and out of his chair, or already pressing movement, a forward movement, and I'm going to put him on the arm bike. 
that's not a good idea if I'm trying to strengthen the opposite side of the joint, which would be all these through lats, through um, rotator cuff muscles. It really encourages like, wow, you have to maintain good posture to do this exercise. Yeah. And on my next slide here, this gentleman has a C4 level injury with some uh, sacral, not sacral sparing, but some sparing below. Uh, so it's like C5, so he has biceps. Yeah. He doesn't have, hand, doesn't have hand function traditionally. He has like some wrist extension, but not much. Okay. But that wouldn't limit him from doing this exercise if you set it up the right way. So he's doing pretty much a glorified, like a modified face with, with grip assist gloves and a tilt back in his weight in his wheelchair so he doesn't have to worry about gravity pulling forward. So he's getting all the muscles that he has working in a motion that's going to help prevent maybe neck pain, maybe shoulder pain. Because you still mm. feel that, even though he's not necessarily pushing and using his arms for transfers, he still will get it from just sitting. Getting an exercise on the opposite side of the joint to help maintain joint integrity. That, that's awesome, man. Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm super pumped. Um, Jeremy, maybe you can uh, push this um, this podcast out sooner because if not, it won't be in time for the uh, the webinar. But we're mm. just real quick, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah. If, I don't want to cut us off or anything, but we're, we're doing a free webinar with uh, seven PTs total talking about various topics. Chris is going to be one of them talking about, uh, I guess, um, integrating, you know, manual therapy and Therax uh, strength conditioning concepts into neuro, uh, neurological population. I'm super pumped for that presentation, especially now what he just kind of showed us with the stuff that this is truly like you're I, a lot of stuff I haven't seen before. And oh, yeah. a lot of uh, NCS people or, or neurotherapists are, are doing, you know, a fraction mm -hmm. of this. So I, I think it'd be great for you to kind of share it to the PT world. So I guess we'll make an announcement. That's that's February 1st through the 8th. Hopefully this podcast gets out in time. Uh, put it out next week. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Just so uh, whoever's watching this can hopefully tune into that, uh, that lecture by Chris. It's going to be on whatever Thursday is. I guess the 4th. The 4th, yeah. Yeah. 7.30. Yeah. Um, Awesome, Chris. Thank you very much for, for sharing. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to kind of wrap up with, but I just wanted to kind of say that for everybody based on what you said. Awesome stuff, man. I'm super proud yeah. of it. Yeah, no, I, PT is like a passion of mine. I definitely know I picked like the right career for me, but I also didn't want to go down a traditional like route of like, I find that like the more creative you are, the more your patients buy in. And that's in any setting. So I feel like buying right. is key. And I feel Huge. like in this setting where I see a lot of like tough stuff. If you can like bring even just like a little bit of a difference, it can mm -hmm. kind of light a spark where someone's like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to try this today. And mm -hmm. we, get, we get improvements. Hell it's not yeah. necessarily saying that you need to have full recovery to have a great outcome, but I can still show you different ways where you can still channel versions of what happened of yourself before injury, like in terms of exercise. Yeah. And I have like, and using the orthopedic knowledge, or, like hands-on skills, like to prevent overuse and compensatory injuries that happen that are sometimes unavoidable post like CVA post spinal cord injury, but knowing the mobilizations and knowing the strategies to avoid them from getting to be like, terrible, like managing them. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, well said. Thanks. Uh, thanks for hopping on. I don't know. Do, do you have anything else you want to add? No, this is gonna awesome. Awesome. My mind's blown with a lot of these things. I haven't seen anything quite like this since I've been an inpatient, um, where I seen some therapists would push the envelope more like gait training. They almost let people fall more for like neuroplasticity, like just really challenge them versus like over guarding them and not allowing them to do things, but not like pushing them to the envelope with their exercises and that sort of stuff. So I think you're really doing a great service to the profession and, and moving the profession forward. So I'm really happy to, that you uh, came on board and, I really can't wait for your like all I looked at all the other lectures and that sort of stuff and I'm like um, I think I'm most excited for yours in the way so I'm, I'm very excited to give it I've never had an opportunity like this to speak at something like this with so many like great professionals like around me so I feel like it's gonna be a whole event it's gonna be so exciting I'm like looking forward to listening to all of them I'm uh, I'm gonna steal that um I guess that semi fowler position with the the row on the skier for my my neurological patient now yeah, there you go. Tomorrow, actually, so uh, I'm I'm taking that, Chris. You might get a text message or two for me uh, to bounce some Shut ideas. Up. If you don't mind. So, yeah, 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 man. Appreciate it. Um, mm -hmm. 
Anything else? I don't know if you have any other announcements you want to make, Chris. If not, we'll, we'll wrap up the show, man. Ah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Awesome. Uh, Brandon, you want to give anything about our uh, upcoming courses? I know you just mentioned the webinar. Please yeah, you yeah, know, come in. It's the free for the first level. You know, that's yeah, a yeah. big we, thing. We have three levels. One is, is it's free um, if you're able to attend the live version, um, you know, when it happens at that point. We're actually, I'm probably going to try and do is um, if uh, Facebook and Instagram lets me, uh, I'll post each, um, I guess, each webinar up there for the week. So everybody could kind of see and chime in. I know everyone has hectic schedules, but after that week, they'll be, they'll probably be taken down, but we have a level two where you can get access to um, the, uh, the PowerPoints and recordings for life. They'll be emailed to you. You could download those. Um, and then we have a, a top tier one level three. That's more of a entrepreneurial business side where Jer Jeremy and I go a little bit deeper and how to start um, your business and, and, um, if you have any ideas, questions, where do I start, you know, all that type of stuff, uh, as well as a, um, if you do sign up for that one, you can then uh, set up a strategy call with uh, me and or Jeremy for an hour with that as well. So um, that'll be, I guess we'll, we'll give you the link here so you can put on this page for that. Yeah. We also have a neurodynamics course, speaking of neuro patients, um, just strictly neurodynamics uh, coming up the end of February, I believe the 21st and 2nd or 20th and 21st whatever that weekend is there um, that's going to be up in North Jersey. So great. Um, great course. We're looking forward to that. That's a new one out there. So take a look. Yeah. So just to wrap things up. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we can see you guys for some of these courses and uh, webinar series, but uh, yeah, Chris, how can, how can our people reach out to you if they want to, if you're available? Um, you can uh, reach me. Like, I mean, if you want my personal email, and have any questions, like, uh, I think, uh, Brad, I gave it to you, but I also, uh, we can post on the uh, Facebook page, but it's Christopher Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L-185 at gmail.com. Uh, any questions about neuro, I'm always open to answering it. Love helping out. I feel like the more we work together in PT, the stronger our profession gets and we can be more, uh, I think unity in this profession is, and like cohesiveness amongst different, uh, disciplines is really important for moving us forward. Yeah, awesome. Said that. And students, ask your professors to bring people like Chris into your school. <laughs> all right. There's, you know, there, you know, we all have the adjuncts where like, all right, they come teach us some BS like laser or something like that. They bore us out of our minds. But you want individuals like Chris, like Brandon, in that they're gonna inspire you. And that's what led me down the path. Uh Mark Butler came to my school, the not the neurodynamic Mark Butler. And that's what inspired me to kind of push things. So ask for it. If you're not getting, you know, inspiring adjuncts or professors, go and ask for it. But like, hey, I see, I saw this guy in this webinar or on this post. We need someone in neuro. Bring bring people like this in. So that's my uh, my rant for the day. But um, yeah, if you guys want to reach out to us, though, we're at Manips and Sips on Facebook's Twitter. Instagram. Uh, I'm at the decent doctor and at trifecta therapeutics brands at think like a fellow and at uh, pursue PT. Now, uh, thanks for listening in. I hope you guys got a nice little spice up today with some neuro and uh, cheers, everybody. Cheers guys. Thank you.